welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Join national presenter and consultant Rory Rowland as he discusses another aspect of powerful coaching and how it transforms people to improve your organization. Welcome to Coaching for Potential with Rory Rowland. Hi, Rory. Paul, it is great to be here. Another wonderful day. The and we're starting to get spring here. Yes, this is great. Finally, finally. Thank God for spring. And now you're going to tell us about some magic of coaching, but you you figure this out, which is and you've used your resources and everything. Mm-hmm. But you you do this. How did you get involved with um, knowing more about coaching? You know, it was just one of those things. Uh, really, I was teaching sales training, and uh, and I realized the sales training wasn't working, and because if there's no reinforcement and there's no feedback loop for the salesperson, then how can they improve? Mm-hmm. And so I recognized I had to, if I was going to teach sales training, I had to do, I had to teach the managers how to coach selling. And when I did that, uh, it was like, it was like the magic potion. Boom. All of a sudden, uh, the results were truly remarkable to see. And it just, it just snowballed. And so from there, I recognized I had something and I go, man, this is exciting. And so I wanted to teach coaching to everyone that would listen. Well, that's really interesting because there's all kinds of programs out there for sales, training and everything right. else. But this is what you found that really impacts your organization. I call it the magic elixir. If you're just teaching sales training, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might as well just take your money and burn it in a barn. Um, it, it's just a waste of money. But if you if you have sales training and sales coaching so that your manager is not a coach, then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's really, truly remarkable the results you'll get. Well, I'm glad you figured this out and you can share it with us. You have some more magic to share with us today right <laughs> we do have we do have magic and it's it's a really interesting concept and it's from john whitmore's book coaching per performance and i think by far in my opinion this is the best coaching book out there but he has an, an incredibly interesting concept and we've talked about it before <clears throat> pardon me we've talked about it before with the uh, the ski instructor and the tennis coach and I'm going to go back and just visit that story if I good, can for good, a moment. Good story. And it's a great story. I, you know, it's one of my favorite stories to tell now when I speak and you know when I'm in front of an audience. Say, okay, the, here's the key to coaching. Uh, so I want to tell that story a little bit again, but then I want to take it from a perspective of dissecting it to tell us why it works. What's the mindset? What's the the difference in it? And and we know almost inherently the first time you heard the story. I bet the first time you heard the story, it was like. Duh. Right. Why have I right. ever thought about this before? Right. It, it completely explains how I see the world. But once you see that, once you see how it works, then you go, wow. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to tell that story a little bit, and then we're going to basically take that story and dissect it to show how it helps you to coach more effectively. So as you well remember, and but for those of folks who might not have listened to that podcast, um, we, John Whitmore and Timothy Galloway, who wrote the book of the Inner Game of Tennis, who really came up with this concept of coaching by the, through the power of questions, uh, wanted to see how it would work, and they actually took a ski instructor, a snow ski instructor, and made them a tennis coach, which seems absurd because we always think in order to coach someone in something, we have to be an expert in that. Mm. And we really don't have to be an expert. What we have to be an expert in is we have to be an expert in coaching. And so they taught them the basics of tennis, you know, inbounds, out-of-bounds, things like that. Uh, but they didn't teach them the intricacies of, you know, top spin, back spin, you know, 
forehand, backhand. They, you know, they don't know any of the intricacies of the game. But by asking questions and using this technique, they can do it. So I'll just go through and tell the story between player A and player B. The tennis coach goes onto the court, but I've called obviously undercover ski instructor. Mm-hmm. And that's what we'll do is undercover, undercover, <laughs> undercover coach. <laughs> um, and that would be kind of an interesting TV show, wouldn't it? Uh, somebody's going to make millions out there on my concept. Right. But anyway, uh, you've, got, you've got the ski instructor. They go out there, and they're having the tennis players. And they tell tennis player A and B, go ahead and volley back and forth. And tennis player B hits it out of bounds. And the coach says, timeout. And player B hits it out of bounds, and he says, okay, what happened? And player B is going to say sarcastically and rightfully so, I hit out of bounds, right. coach. You know, duh. Right. Um, but then you got to go past that and say, okay, what happened leading up to that? And, and said, well, the ball had topspin. Do you know what to know? look for with topspin? No, I don't. And so the coach doesn't know what to look for with topspin. Right, so he says, he's a ski instructor. He's a ski instructor. He, can, you know, he, knows, he knows swishing back and forth. That's mm-hmm. all he does. No plow or, or putting the ski straight and you know turning on your edges. That's all he knows. So anyway, uh, says to player A, how'd you hit it? And he goes, well, when I hit the racket on the top of the ball, he gives it topspin. When it hits the ground, it actually bounces lower and faster. Perfect. So player B, knowing that, how will you respond in the future? Now, a traditional tennis coach would have said, okay, on topspin, what's going to happen is you're going to see the ball come over the net. It's going to have topspin. It's going to bounce lower and faster. And you're going to come around quicker for it. Be ready for that. And so what he would tell them, they would tell ask. Yeah. Tell them all of that process. And so you can almost see your brain starting to have overload, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not thinking about it, not processing it. Where with questions, you process it and you're thinking about it almost in a non-judgmental way. Okay, if the ball came over the net and had topspin and it bounces lower and faster, how would I hit it? Well, I'd come around quicker. I know it's going to be lower and I'd be prepared for it to be faster so I could actually have mm-hmm. a more smooth thi- uh, a more smooth swing. And so they say, perfect. And, and I'm not going to jump into the, the, uh, the dissection yet. I want to jump in the dissection, but I'm going I'm to go through the story. So we've got the player. Then they go, okay, let's go back and play. Player A and player B volley back and forth. Player A hits the top spin. Player B hits the top spin back. And it's perfect. And, and so the coach says, timeout. And so this is where you've got to do the affirmations. You know, affirm the mm-hmm. player for doing it well. Because we, we all need to know that that was excellent. That's right. Yeah. You hit it back to the, your opponent. You hit it in bounds. That was perfect. What did you do differently this time? I saw the ball had topspin. I came around and it was going to be bounce lower. It's going to be faster. I came around quicker. I hit it back to my opponent. He says, great. Now he says, let's think about it strategically for a moment. You hit it back to your opponent. Where would you like to hit it on the court? Well, I'd like to hit away from my opponent. Perfect. Give me some feedback on that. Well, if I hit away from my opponent, he's got to run back and forth. And as mm. some party says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now you get an edge on your opponent. So that's the traditional story that John Whitmore tells with the help of Timothy Galloway in that process. And, and that's the importance of asking questions. But now we want to basically kind of break it down into um, the learning process and the learning curve and why coaching helps you learn faster than traditional uh, teaching. And I'll just give you an interesting concept Mm -hmm. for a second. There's the old saying that children love to learn but hate to be taught. Hmm. Interesting. And even even comparing the traditional school system in America Mm -hmm. where we have classrooms and we teach people things, in Sweden, they don't have any standardized tests, they, but they have higher performance with their schools because what they do is they let children learn and study something they want to learn and mm-hmm. study. And we're starting to use that model in America now where we're letting people in high school work in trades or whatever they want to try to do. And what we're finding out is, guess what? Scores They're are going better. up. Scores are going up. Uh, they're coming to school more often. The graduation 
pardon me, graduation rates are going up because all of a sudden students are doing something that they find that is appealing to them, mm-hmm. uh, that inner drive. And that's what coaching does. It looks for that inner drive. inner drive. And once you find the inner drive, then you get a higher level of performance for everybody. And that's why those schools are having that, that, that process. But what we want to do in the workforce is we want to help people coach them so they can perform because we all want to do well. I mean, the mm-hmm. very first job, the very first day at work, none of us ever says, man, Absolutely. in seven years, I hope I get fired for doing this, this right. and this. You know, you know, in seven years, some people may get fired for doing this, this and this, but they made that decision over time. They didn't yeah. make it a day on day one. On day right. one, they want to be a great employee. And then a whole host of things happened that made them become disgruntled. I, I, I almost wish that more managers would understand that concept. As opposed to looking for the issues, as opposed to thinking negatively right. because of the last the last employee that did this is right. just because you're right. People do not take a new job and want to do a bad job. They right. want to do a good job. Yeah, and the remarkable thing is, I've been working with a client for about two and a half years, and um, they had an employee that left, and that employee went to got a new job, and while they got that new job, um, they while they were doing that new job, um, they worked there for a year or so. And guess what? They didn't like it. Yeah. So they came back to the other organization. The reason being is the organization that they that they left had been doing coaching. And and she and they asked her, why would you come back? And she mm-hmm. said, because you had a sense of family here. The other place was just a job. Mm-hmm. And, through, and, and we've completely changed the culture of the organization. So here's a woman who made more money. Her commute was shorter. <laughs> and she chose to make less money and lengthen her commute because the way it felt every day yeah. to go to work. Right. And so it's not always money, and it's not always commute time. It truly is a sense of how, you know, do you feel part of the organization? Mm-hmm. And through coaching, you can do that. And so that's one of the great success stories that we've helped with other organizations achieve is to say, you know what, you can make a really a big difference with this. So, of course, I'm going to go to that client and say, hey, you had that employee leave. Uh, can I tell you how I can help exactly help diminish the turnover in your organization by teaching your managers how to coach more effectively. Yeah. So anyway, that's good. That's a side note. I'm, right. I'm kind of being a, a laser pointer on the ceiling right now. Right. But let's go back and dissect the uh, the story of the ski instructor and uh, and the and the coaches. So in this process, and I want to I want to go back and and talk for a moment about. There's an important concept that John Whitmore talks about, and a lot of us have heard this concept before. And it's the concept of learning, basically the four stages. You, the first stage is you're an unconscious incompetent. You mm-hmm. don't know you don't know. Uh, for example, uh, a child in a car, they're riding along. Uh, they, their parents take them to grandma and grandpa's house. All of a sudden they get out and wonderfully they're there. They're there. They, right. but they have no idea how they got there. They have no idea what their parents did. They had no idea of the near miss at the intersection, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. They, they have none of that concept. Almost like us in a plane in the back of the plane. Uh, all of us are unconscious. Uh, incompetent um, uh, pilots, we have no idea what's happening. They're just they're flying up there, and boom. And and to be honest with you, I'm almost glad of that. I right. just, I don't want to know. Right. But then we come to the point where we're conscious incompetence, and we're aware that we don't know. And that might be in for driving. You know, six, seven, eight, nine years old for a, a child, they start to watch their parents drive because they recognize when they're a young adult, when they're a teen, they're going to learn how to drive. Mm-hmm. And so they start thinking about that process, starting to watch it. And you probably did that as a child too. Is sure start to watch your parents drive. How do they do it? How do they shift it? Uh, back in the day when I was a kid, you know, it was clutches. A lot and there wasn't a lot of automatics, yeah. and so. 
I actually learned how to drive on a clutch and had mm. and learned all of the curse words my father had too, <laughs> <laughs> because that was his style of coaching, right. uh, very judgmentally and very harshly. Nice. Uh, and it was oh, I the the sense of flow was there all the time. Uh, then we have the conscious competent where we we start to think about it. We can do it, but we have to really think about it. You know, when you're back up, you look, yeah. you look at both ways. You know, you just real you're very conscious of every aspect of it. And then you come to the point where you're unconscious competent. You drive home, you get there, and you have absolutely no right. idea how you got there because you were thinking of some issue at work or mm-hmm. uh, you're going to go to a baseball game or a concert. You had all these things you were thinking about uh, because now you've you've mastered the skill of, of driving. So now, wouldn't it be marvelous, though, if we could move from the phase of conscious incompetence to unconscious competence and skipping the phase of conscious competence, going from phase two to phase four almost automatically? Hmm. That would be truly remarkable. Well, that's why coaching is so effective, because it helps us do that. Um, when, when you've got a driving instructor, and, and like, like my father, um, he was the driving instructor, very judgmental. I was thinking about and being judgmental on all the things that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I got a, a new driving instructor, I didn't really recognize that he had coaching skills, but he just kind of inherently knew it. He would pull me out of the side of the road and say, okay, you did this, this, and this. What's your thoughts of that? What What about this? What would you like to do differently here? And so I began to think about it in a non-judgmental way of how do I improve? And that's the key of coaching. When we are asking questions in such a way that they're non-judgmental, that Non-judgmental is the key, it sounds it, like. Absolutely right. Non-judgmental is the – and also non-judgmental of yourself is just to say, I want to improve this skill set. I want to do this in a way, and how do I improve it so I can get better at it? I, 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 that was going to be my question about the non-judgmental. You could even have a manager or a coach do that for you, but mm-hmm. being non-judgmental of yourself, that's a tough thing. But I guess it, if you have a good coach not being judgmental, it helps you – Stop those voices in your head that are criticizing everything you do. Right, and that's the challenge that we have. Is that that though, and that's what Timothy Galloway talks about in the Inner Game of Tennis. He talks about there's two voices in our head, mm-hmm. and if we can if we can go to the one that's relaxed and quiet, and that sense of flow, because you've done something, and you, we've all done something in life where we did it in almost a flow. It was almost effortless, a sense of gliding, effortless. You just you just boom, you just right. did it, and you just didn't you didn't know about it. And, and that's what we want to do with coaching is get people that sense of flow faster and quicker so we can go up that learning curve faster and be more effective. And that's why coaching is such a powerful tool because it can skip – it doesn't always skip the conscious competence phase. But if we can move people through that competence competence phase faster right. and you move the organization up the, the learning curve, then all of a sudden – you're getting an ROI on your training. You're getting an ROI on your investment because people are, are learning faster. And, and if, I, if I'm understanding this, you can answer this question. It seems as though when you ask the questions, mm-hmm. that's the key because you're not, you know, giving a lecture, being judgmental as a coach. You're asking right. and allowing the, um, the person just to come up with. Mm-hmm. what they think was good or bad. Right. That's probably the, the tone we need, right? And the questions make the tone, I guess. Yeah, the tonality, right, the tonality. And the other side of the coin is just having that mindset of almost a mother. Uh, mm-hmm. I've used the analogy before, you know, it takes a child 1,500 times to fall before they right. learn to walk. But yeah. a mother never says, come on, we're at 1,251. Yeah. You know, your brother got it at 1,200. You mm-hmm. know, are you, where are you on the bell curve? Mm-hmm. Uh, a mother never says that. Oh, baby, sweetheart, you're doing right, a great you job. You did great. You're doing all the time just positive mm-hmm. reinforcement in that regard. I'm not saying you have to do positive reinforcement with your employees all the time, but but say it in a non judgmental way of, you know, okay, 
okay, this happened with Mr. Smith. What would you do differently? How would you handle it? Uh, what would you? What would be the conversation that you would have? You know, is there anything that you learned from that process? And as you ask that of employees, guess what? They basically self-coach. They they look at the eva- they evaluate themselves more effectively. Mm-hmm. They do it more non-judgmentally, and the performance improves. And they and that's when they jump the the to the unconscious competence bingo right Right. yeah you want to you want to try to move as quickly as you can through the conscious competence phase to the unconscious competence and if you can move there quicker then all of a sudden you can shorten you can shorten time frames and you can you can improve the performance of the organization by doing that excellent and wow that's magic and it is absolute magic i love that concept and i just i encourage people and i just i'll tell people where they where they get this at yeah it's actually in john whitmore's book coaching performance uh, this is the fourth edition, and it is actually chapter 12 that talks about this concept, learning and enjoyment. And, uh, you know, I've gone through this book about 20 times, and then, uh, of course, in the 19th time, because I'm not the, sm- uh, the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer, uh, got it, and I go, wow, what an yeah. incredible explanation of the process. I, I think that's so powerful that I think if people listen to this podcast that – Maybe you've graduated. You don't have to hear any more of them. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a powerful concept. But we have more stuff to tell, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We've got tons more stuff we can talk about. Okay. Well, thank you. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get me on my website, RoryRoland.com, and uh, give me a holler anytime. I love to speak and coach with folks all the United States. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Coaching for Potential with Rory Roland. Join us next time for another discussion about the power of coaching. This has been a KCTK production produced by Paul Lavoda and Rory Rowland. For more information and content, visit RoryRowland.com.